Live with CDP Sports Talk, a weekly sports and entertainment podcast sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet. Live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And on audio via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Radio Public, and TuneIn. Now, here's your host, Chris Palme. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 5, Overall 335 of Live with CDP Sports Talk, sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet, 905 Woodlawn Road West in the Guelph Auto Mall. Check out barrycullen.com for the newest selection of new and pre-owned GM vehicles, or give them a call at 519-824-0210, or email them at info at barrycullen.com. Live with CDP Sports Talk is on weeknights from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern on radio station WQEE 99.1 FM in Metro Atlanta, the home of Southern Talk and Sports. Good afternoon, everybody, on this Monday, November 20th, 2023. And I'm looking forward to my guest today. This is his first appearance on our show. He is a former NFL cornerback with the New England Patriots, Carolina Panthers, Green Bay Packers, and a member of the 1988 NCAA National Champion Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. Before we bring on our guest today, uh, one of my longtime friends, uh, Todd Vandenberg, uh, his father passed away this recently, so I wanted to say deepest sympathies and condolences to Todd and his family. And um, Todd and his late father are huge Notre Dame Fighting Irish fans as well. They love the school. They love the football program. So I just wanted to give out my condolences to my friend Todd Vandenberg and his family in the passing of his late father as well. well and their connection to Notre Dame uh, football as well. And I'm going to bring on my uh, guest today, Rod Smith. Hey, Chris. Hi, Rod. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so and, much. And yeah, thank you for having me. And my condolences as well to, to Todd, uh, Notre Dame fans. And uh, I'm, I, hope, I hope he's doing doing well and uh, um, we're thinking about it for sure. Absolutely. Todd's a good guy. I've known him for almost 30 years and he loves Notre Dame and his late dad does too. They went to a, a game there and they've got the, the golden helmet and they got a brick ah, from it. the old stadium. So I'm I'm hoping this can cheer him up. Uh, when I send this to him later on this week, just because I know how much his dad and him love Notre Dame uh, football. That's fantastic. I got that. I got there. Rich, my my Notre Dame helmet sitting right up there on the uh, on the bookshelf up there, and uh, the original. The original. It's funny. The face mask has come off. It's just gotten so old. The plastic broke, but uh, but it's still. All the pieces are still up there. What years did you go to Notre Dame? You played up there until what ninety two, I believe. Yeah, I um. I was a freshman on that 88 championship team. Um, and uh, I played the 88 season, 89 season, 90 season, 91 season. Played in the uh, the the um, 92 Sugar Bowl was my last game. Um, and funny, you know, we can do this later, but probably my best game I ever played there. Um, uh, but in, in we only had four, it's nice to be at four. We had seven freshmen on that 88 championship team who lettered. And I was I was lucky enough to be one of them, um, alongside Rocket Ishmael, at wide receiver. So um, a lot of great players came in in that class, number number one recruiting class in the country, 
Um, but only seven of us, seven of us were able to play uh, uh, that first year. I was lucky enough to be one of them. Um, it was a great year. Originally, you were a running back in high school. Then they converted you to a wide receiver with Notre Dame. And then in the NFL, you became a cornerback. That's exactly right. And, and, it's, and it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because um, uh, in high school, we, uh, we ran the ball out of the eye formation. You know, I mean, everybody knew what we were going to do. Roseville runs the ball 50 times a, a, a game. We throw it 20 times a game or 10 times a game. Um, and I was at the top of the eye. And, uh, and I think it, it gave me a, a toughness um, um, and a physical toughness because you just, you just have to be a warrior to play that position in our, in our offense. And they just hand it to you. I mean, I, carry, I, I had four or five games where I carried it 40 times or more. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a lot of carries for a young guy. Um, but it, you do it for a couple of years and it hardens you. And then I think it, I think it really, you know, was, was one of the keys of having success in Notre Dame was, was that experience I had in high school running the football. You're originally from Minnesota and how was your high school football experience? Did it prepare you for Notre Dame? Um, it did. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, like, like all the sports, um, uh, helped, you know, and I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of young kids playing a variety of sports um, because they each they teach you different things. And then when you have to focus at the college level, um, having those skills that you develop through other sports really come into play. Um, running track uh, as, a, as a freshman, um, you know, I the workouts were so difficult um, that I threw up after the first practice. Um, I mean, I threw it probably every third day, the first like three weeks of track, it was brutal. And, uh, um, and I wanted to quit. And, and my dad said, Hey, you know, you know, you, you've committed to being part of the team and we're going to fight this thing out for another month. And after a month, if you decide that you want to leave another four weeks, then we'll talk about it again. But like, we don't just quit because we're, we're struggling. We're having a bad day. That's not how we, how we, how we manage, um, discomfort. So I said, you know, okay, dad. So. My dad went behind my back and told the uh, the the track coach that I was I was ready to quit. So they put me in an all freshman track meet, and I went to the all freshman track meet, and uh, I won the 100, 200 long jump. Um, I didn't even high jump, but I won the high jump. And uh, and then I, then I was excited to run track because I was getting ready to quit. Right, I was going to stop running track. And had I stopped running track, I would not have been a, a professional football player. I would not have gone to Notre Dame. Absolutely not. There's no way. Had I not run track, and I was going to quit. Um, uh, then I, but I had to be honest with myself, you know, and my dad, my dad at the, at the dinner table looked at me and said, Hey, didn't you want to quit track? And he, he goes, you want to quit track? I go, no, no, I want to, I want to keep running track. And he goes, huh? Interesting. You win a couple of races and now you want to run track, honey. And he has a bite of his steak and looks at me and I was like, I get it. So that was the first really big lesson that, you know, you have to disassociate the work with the result. You know, all I saw was the work, and I was running with the varsity, getting fifth place every track meet. I figured I'm wasting my time. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know to disassociate the work with the outcomes. But, but that freshman track meet brought that idea in my mind. So ever since then, I thought, you know what, I'm going to give great effort, no matter what the outcome is, whether I'm a starter, or I'm a backup, first string, last string, all American, not playing, scout team, whatever. I'm just going to keep playing hard because. I learned that lesson as a freshman in track that if I just keep working hard, success will come. Maybe down the line somewhere you can't see it, but but uh, 
that was that was one of the big lessons I learned from another sport, from track, that that really helped me through football, 100%. I've had other professional athletes on here too, and they've played baseball, basketball, other sports, soccer, uh, other sports, like you said there, um, Rod. What was the fastest time you ever uh, you you did track and field at? Like, what was the fastest time you were clocked at? Fastest thing I ran track and field. Uh, now this is this is this is like 1990, 1991. Um, uh, I ran ten three one in the hundred meter dash. I mean, it's not like crazy. In today's standards, um, uh, at the combine at the forty yard dash, I ran four uh, four flat at the combine, which made me the the fifth fastest defensive back that year. Um, I mean, now guys are faster, the bigger, stronger, faster guys are running. A bunch of guys running four threes, um, but yeah, those are the, those are the two fastest times I put up. Um, yeah, the, the ten three and the hundred electronic, and then the uh, and then the four four flat. Again, these are electronic; these aren't handheld times. So there's electronic. So yeah, those are the two fastest times. Yeah. What you're mentioning, Rod, too, is sometimes, and this applies to me and other people in other careers. You have to, if you want to be successful, you have to put in the work. But sometimes people just get impatient, figure I'm putting in the work and not getting the results. But uh, eventually, the results will come. But you have to put in the work and be consistent, just like being a professional athlete. You you raise a great point, and. Um... And it's funny, I remind myself when I start getting uh, unmotivated or, or start messing around or getting stuck that um, that the reward, it sounds crazy me saying this, but the reward is the work. You know what I mean? Like, 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 like doing the work is what makes it all possible. Whether, and if there's a chance it can be possible, it will have to be done through the work. And, and, I, and now I've, I've kind of got a little David Goggins in me. Um, and after reading his books, and, and I just think about like, I, I'm blessed to have a chance to work. It's one of the things I say in my affirmations is, uh, I'm, I'm glad that I'm, that I'm healthy uh, and, and uh, I have a chance to work today. I'm glad that I'm healthy and I have a chance, I have a chance to work, that I'm able to work. I mean, it could, we could always be, you and I be in situations where we couldn't work or couldn't get out of bed or in the hospital, all these things. And like the chance, the opportunity to go out and give effort with the, with the hope that it might um, result in a benefit is a, is a, it really is. It's a, it's a blessing. And, and I, and I, and I try to keep that in the, in my mind at times. Absolutely. That the, the work itself, the work itself is the blessing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what I'm doing here doesn't feel like work. I have a passion for this. I love it. I love talking to people, learning from my guests, storytelling and learning to keep improving as well. And uh, mindset is huge as well. No matter what you're doing in life, having a, a strong mindset is very important. I agree a hundred percent. And um, it, it, it's funny. Um, uh, I mean, my junior year at Notre Dame, um, I mean, I, I was, this is a long story. The, the, the short version is I got beat by Desmond Howard for three touchdowns in the first half of the game, um, playing against Michigan um, at our place. Uh, 17 million people watching, almost single-handedly lost the football game for us. Um, and this is one versus two. It's important. Um, I get pulled out of the game by Coach Holtz um, uh, the beginning of the third quarter. Um, and I'm, I'm not playing special teams or anything. I, I go into the season as a preseason All-American. I am an hour and a half 
into the game and I'm on the bench. My grandmother is in the third row on about the 47-yard line with tears in her eyes. She's crying, her head in her hands. My mom's trying to console her. I have never been – there's only been one point in my entire life where I thought, well, I wonder if I wanted to be on this planet, and that was it. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I didn't want to be above ground. I was so embarrassed and, and humiliated and felt bad for my parents and my grandmother. Um, uh, and my dad um, uh, came down. Uh, drove back down into, into to South Bend the next day, um, uh, and we and we went out to dinner. And he told me that, um, you know, if you ever thought that you had any control over how much you play, you're wrong. Um, and uh, that's Coach Holtz's decision. And and you need to hear this: your football career at the University of Notre Dame could be over, where you sit. You may never wear the gold that that gold helmet again on a on a Saturday. Like you have to you have to accept that. I mean, that, and that's Coach Holtz's call. It's not your call. That's the bad news. Good news is um, somebody has to be the most competitive, most well-prepared, most well-rested, most determined um, uh, football player, practice football player in Notre Dame history. And Coach Hills can't stop you from being that guy. You know, you have a, you have a three-point grade point average right now. If you're 3.3, you, you graduate with honors. Coach Hills has nothing to do with that. That's a Rod Smith decision. So, like, you have the you have the ability to go out there and be the first guy in, last guy out, for every single drill and play with maximum intensity um, and, and and be that guy. And then you let the chips fall where they may. Um, but you can't worry about how much you play or getting back your, getting your job back because that's a coach's decision that he may have already made it and not in your favor. But you still can go out and, and practice and get better. And, you know, you're Rocket Ishmael and, and um, Ricky Waters and Tony Brooks and Jerome Bettis and all these guys. So if you're on scout team, you're playing against some of the best players in the world. I mean, the best college players, I mean, like, where else are you going to find that kind of talent? So even if you're on scout team, and I was, he put me all the way down on scout team, um, you have a chance to play against some of the best college football players in the country. And, and if you practice hard enough, long enough, you're going to get your shot. Rod, when you were starting up and playing football, um, besides your dad, obviously, was there a, another mentor or mentors or other influences that helped you uh, develop yourself into a football player and, and also as a, a student athlete? And how difficult is it being a, a, a professional athlete or a student athlete and maintaining your marks at the same time? Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. It reminds me of a, of uh, David Goggins um, or, or Jocko Willick, if you've read any of his stuff, um, uh, talking about you know Jocko Willick, one of his Jocko Willick, one of his favorite sayings is, "Discipline begets discipline." You know what I mean? If you if you start your day with a list of things that you do, I'm gonna brush my teeth, I'm gonna do my handstands, I'm gonna do my push-ups, do my sit-ups, whatever your whatever your routine is in the morning, you just do that over and over and over again. It if you start your day with discipline it kind of carries forward in your day. So, you know, you start the day by, by you know, trying to get A's, you know, make competing for A's in every class. You know, are you gonna, am I gonna get an A in every class? No, I'm gonna get an A in a bunch of them though. And, and I'm gonna compete for an A. And then by the time I get to the football part of it, like I'm, I'm already zeroed in, I'm focused, I'm ready to go, I'm not distracted. If I'm goofing around all day, like not really paying attention in class and goofing around and not really competing for grades, and then I'm just, for some reason, I don't practice as well on those days. I'm not as focused. I'm making, dropping balls and busting coverages. And it just, discipline begets discipline. So, you know, if you if you can structure your day at the beginning, just little things, you know, just the, the little 
three item list of to start your day. It, it just starts you on a path, making the bed, little things like that. I, I still do it to this day. I know it's weird. My, my, my fiance sometimes, like, it's so funny. My fiance, like, does it now too, obviously, you know, because because if she doesn't, I'll go back and do it and, and make it. So just I just do that because starting the day like that allows me to, like, say, okay, I got one thing done. I got the I got the bed made. Okay, I mean, like, so the day's not a total loss. Like, at least, at least I got the bed made. You know, so you know, it's those little things. And and so it's a long answer to a short question, but I think that that being disciplined in your studies makes you a better football player. That it actually it's harder, but it, but they actually help each other. The football and the academics kind of work together. And uh, football career only lasts so long, and education will, will last you a lifetime. That's a hundred percent. There is, um, it's funny when I, when I was, um, you know, it's funny, uh, what I am most proud of, um, you didn't ask me this question, but what I'm most proud of is, uh, is, is recruiting 21 of 23 kids, 23 kids visited Notre Dame and I was their host and 21 of them committed. Um, and, uh, and I used to tell the kids that, um, you know, I won't mention any names, but there are a lot of schools that graduate half their kids. Right. And at this school, we graduate 99.8% of our kids. Wow. And it's not because and it's not because we're putting them in um, in the easiest classes. Now, there are no easy classes in Notre Dame. They're all difficult. That's not that's not the deal. What the deal is, is if you have if any student athlete in Notre Dame, this isn't this isn't just football. This is all student athletes, because in Notre Dame, all the student athletes are in the same academic facility. It's not like just football players or just basketball players. It's basketball, football, women's track, women's softball, um, baseball, hockey, like women's, like all, it's, it's all of us put together in the same thing. And the deal is in Notre Dame, if you're a student athlete on a scholarship, if you have less than a B in a class, okay, running B in the class, then you are assigned a tutor for 45 minutes for each class. I'm not going to mention any names, okay? But there were some guys that were in study hall deep into their junior year for every class, right? But here's what happened. By the time they were seniors, they were they were doing fine academically. And, and, and there are about four or five of these guys that were like in study hall all the way until like their junior year. And now they're attorneys. One's a doctor. I mean, like once those kids got up to speed, got caught up, they're off to the races. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the university holds their responsibility to educate their young people that way. And, and and back to telling the kids this. So I'm like, listen, is it harder at Notre Dame? Yeah, it's overcast every day. You know, the girls aren't wearing Daisy Dukes and Clemson and Georgia. They're wearing hoodies and sweatpants. I mean, listen, it's Notre Dame. It's cold. It's overcast. There are no parties. There, there are no fraternities. There's no beer allowed in the dorms. But what you will get out of here is an education. And there is no greater statistic with, uh, with education, sorry, with lifetime earnings, education. Lifetime earnings, education, number one statistic. So this, being at this university for four years gives you an opportunity to have a great life. You know what I mean? And, you know, listen, even if you're a state player of the year in your state, you're Mr. Georgia, Mr. I was Mr. Minnesota, state player of the year. If you're a state player of the year coming out of high school, you have a one in 20 chance of playing three years in the pros. One in 20. 5%. So every kid thinks I'm going to be a pro. No, you're not. You're not going to be a pro. So you have to get a job. So would you rather like have flunked out of an SEC school or have a Notre Dame degree? You know what I mean? I mean, like it's a no brainer, right? So 
that was that was one of the the, the ways that I pitched it to to the recruits and you know 21 or 23 uh you know bought into it and they're and they all graduated and they're all doing well that's amazing now when you were playing high school football for Roseville high school was Notre Dame always your first choice Rod is that um, where you wanted to go you know it it, it uh it came down to it really came down to Notre Dame, Stanford, and Michigan uh, for me. Um, all three of those schools, I wanted to go visit and kind of see what they had to offer. Um, all schools that graduate, you know, 90 plus percent of their kids, all great academic institutions. Um, Stanford, obviously, football is a little bit lacking. Um, and then when I got there, Jack Elway had uh, declared that he was going to leave at the end of the year. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of like a lame duck coach. And on a team that was winning four games a year for the last couple of years, you know, he kind of bailed out in the program. Um, uh, loved the school, but the program was was awful. Um, at Michigan, Bo Schembechler told me that um, why would you why would you go to Notre Dame? They've got four of the of the eight Parade All American running backs committed there. And I thought that just set me off. I thought why why would he say that to me? Like I'm I'm first of all I'm one of the Parade All American running backs. I'm one of those eight. Number one, okay. Why don't you call them and ask them why they committed in their name when Rod Smith was thinking about considering? You know, so 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 he, he's he's telling me that I'm supposed to be scared or avoid competition because, for I mean, why would he say that? Because somehow that's not adva- advantageous to me. That it's not advantageous for Rod Smith to be around. And that I did that that I'll be honest with you, that that bothered me. I was like, really? Like, um, I went to Notre Dame, um, saw um, some of the most combative. Um, physical, aggressive, one-on-one drills and team drills I've ever seen. I mean, even even being in the pros, Notre Dame, Coach Holtz was they were just doing some savage drills of just contact, hitting each other. It was it was amazing. I mean, but I mean like poetry. I don't mean like cheap shots. Anybody getting hurt? But I just mean like like face to face, like good good temp, good and just just physical and aggressive. And I and I fell in love with that. I did. I fell in love with it. Um, the way the way they played, the way they practiced, so physical, was intense. Coach Holt is screaming and yelling and running around, and Barry Alvarez is screaming and yelling and running around, and like the intensity. And I, I love that. Like some people, like it freaks them out. I love that intensity. I just, I just wanted to dive in. So that's 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 what sold it for me. How much of an adjustment was it going from high school football to college football and uh, switching positions from running back to cornerback? Did it take you a little time to get used to that position? Uh, it did. Um, I, I never got used to it, to be honest. Um, you know, it's funny what happened is uh, I'm clearly too small at at 180 pounds to play running back at that level. I mean, Ricky Waters and Jerome Bettis, and Jerome, Jerome wasn't there yet, but but like Ricky and Tony Brooks, all those guys, they're all like 215 to 230 pounds. I mean, they're big. And to play running back in Notre Dame back then, you had to be able to stand in there and be able to pass block. Right. And Michael Stonebreaker and Wes Pritchett and Ned Bullcar, these guys are all 6'3, 245, running full speed. And little Rod Smith at 180 pounds cannot hang in there and take that. I mean, that just, I mean, I, it's not about toughness. It's not happening. Right. So I knew I was going to have to move somewhere. Um, and I just said, you know, let, let's just figure it out where it's going to be and we'll just play hard wherever it is. And the coach said, hey, listen, I'm going to put you a wide out. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't catch the ball real well, coach. It's not, not one of my strong points. It's not. I don't have great hands. I don't. Um, he said, well, that's fine. We'll, we'll teach you. We'll get you better, whatever. So I said, all right. So um, then Rocket Ishmael and I were, um, uh, who, who actually were on the same recruiting trip together. Rocket Ishmael is one of my good friends. So Rocket Ishmael and I are sitting there after about two practices. We're like, 
you know what? Have you noticed something? Coach Holtz is screaming and yelling at everybody who makes a mistake. What if we master the playbook? Let's master the playbook so that we never make a mistake. I think that might get us on the field. Not being the best athletes or being able to catch it the best, but just knowing what to do. Being able to execute any play, any adjustment, no matter what he calls, if we can master it, we might be able to get on the field. So it's, it's funny. That's what we did. That's how we got on the field. It wasn't because we were the best players, the greatest, greatest players who could catch it the best. No, no, no. We got on the field because Rocket Ishmael and I would study an hour after every practice and quiz each other on the playbook. We we mastered it. We had it cold. After two weeks, you could call any play in our entire offensive book and we could run it. On the move, on the fly, every adjustment, read coverages, all that we mastered it. Um, and, and that's what got us in the field. I love hearing your story. I know it's a little different than Tom Brady's, but basically, <laughs> just basically your story is be prepared. Be be ready to, be, when you're called upon, be prepared. Don't feel sorry for yourself because you're not on the field. Just when, when they need you, they're in there, and then you show the coaching staff, hey, I've learned all this, and I, I love hearing stuff like your story, Rod. Yeah, it's, um, people don't talk about it, athletes don't talk about it enough that, and when I talk to kids, um, I tell them every time, I go, you know, the easiest and the fastest way to get on the field is trust. If the coach trusts you, that you're even if you're not the best player, I'm not saying be the best player. I'm just saying if the coach can trust that you are going to execute what he wants done on every single play, trust me, he's going to play you. Because even if a guy's a better athlete, or he's faster, or stronger, and catch it better. If he runs the wrong route, it's a sack fumble. You lose the game because the guy, because your receiver doesn't know what the heck he's doing. So, like, just making sure if you've got an outcut that you run the outcut, even even if the ball's over your head, so be it. We can live and fight another day. Second and ten's okay. What we can't have is a guy run the wrong route. The quarterback holds the ball. He gets sack fumble. We lose the game. So, like, the most, the single most important thing that any young person can do to add to their playing time is master the playbook know it cold study it over and over until where you can where you can anticipate the coverage the adjustment and 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 then you'll play and that that's what rocket and i did and it, and it worked we got on the field right away basically do your homework just do your homework. And uh, I had the pleasure of interviewing one of the Argonauts, Toronto Argonauts of the CFL, third string quarterback, Brian Scott, who's from the States. He's from California and he was with the USFL, uh, Philadelphia okay. Stars, before he came up here. And he right told on. me this year was difficult being a third string quarterback in the CFL because he's never, he's always been a starter, but he told me, Chris, even though I'm the, the number three quarterback on the depth chart, I have to study and prepare hard, harder than anyone else because I want to be ready when my time comes on, comes to come on, on the field, especially with the Canadian football league being a little bit different than the American game as well. Oh yeah. He's got to study his, his tail off and he had the right uh, mindset going in. Um, especially with the game being a little bit different, um, you, you've really got to study and master it because at some point, even the third string guy, and it may not may not be this year. I mean, the season just ended, but but next year you keep working like that, and and you're going to get a break. I mean, you saw you see what happened to Dobbs. You know what I mean? Now he's starting quarterback yes. in Minnesota. You know, and he's been a backup his whole career at third string, and now he's the starting guy there. And 
is it is it crazy to think that as he masters the offense and becomes more proficient that like that they may they may keep him there next year? I don't know if they like replace Cousins with him, but this guy has gone from to your point from being a a a backup in many teams on many teams, a third stringer on many teams, but by studying his tail off and preparing like a madman, he's able to play at a higher level and and now he could end up being a starter in the National Football League a guy that two years ago was probably 50-50 to even make a team. And uh, I was reading up on him the other day. He's very well educated. I guess he's into uh, NASA stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, wow. And, and this guy, just be prepared. It's like with me. I just try to keep preparing myself, do my homework, keep getting better, keep learning. And eventually I will get my opportunities. A hundred percent. I'm excited to be here. It's a great show. And uh, I see that the notes and everything, you're always obviously very prepared and, and it's, and it's good for the guests too. You know what I mean? Like, like you and me, we got people watching, but like between you and I, like it's, 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 it's encouraging for the guests to know that the host is well-prepared. Like, I'm like, a, I can take a, a big deep breath. I'm going to get good questions. He's engaged. He, he, he's ready to rock and roll. Like it's, it's not always that way. And sometimes you get on a podcast and, and they're, and they're kind of, putting it together the last minute you can feel it and it's and it's just it's just yeah. off so I, I i appreciate what you're doing and your professionalism and the way you you've built this show and I'm, I'm happy to be here thank you for having me thank you well thank you and i've had a lot of great guests and uh when i first started i was terrible and uh, i've got some guys that believed in me and just gave me some advice and i took it and rod the way i'm talking to you now i have my notes and stuff like that and stuff i want to ask you and points but i try to talk to you like we're at a, a football stadium or we're at a coffee shop because I was told this by a few broadcasters, natural conversations make for the best radio shows, podcasts, etc. hundred percent. I agree. hundred percent. Absolutely. And listening skills too, because everybody says talking is important, but when you ask your guests questions, sometimes they can answer four or five more of your questions uh, down the ro- road as well. So, I'm, a, I'm that guy. Yeah, you, you ask me, you ask me about Coach Holtz, I'll tell you about Bill Parcells. I mean, I, it's, it's what I do. <laughs> that leads to my next question, anyways. What, <laughs> what we were go. your, what were your thoughts on head coach uh, Lou Holtz and the Notre Dame uh, coaching staff while you were there? Um, um, I thought he was fantastic. I really did. Um, he is a, um, he is definitely from um, uh, a Woody Hayes type culture, which is. To put as much pressure on as many players as possible, um, to reveal their character, um, and uh, and to find out you know who can handle the stress, and then also make practice so difficult for the kids that when they get in the game, the game's actually easier. You know, you, you hear that that phase, I mean that phrase all the time, but but that's 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 what they try to do. They try to make practice so competitive and combative and stressful that when the game came around it was it was it was easier so everybody was under pressure to do better than they did last time um uh and uh one thing i say about coach holtz is um he is he's one of those midwest old school 70s 60s coaches that really wants to beat you physically a la michigan versus penn state last week or the week before that when they ran the ball 32 times in a row on penn state that was beautiful that's the kind of stuff that Coach Holtz was coaching us to do, to run it over and over, be incredibly physical, 
incredibly disciplined. Um, and to do that, you've got to put kids through the fire. I mean, you've got, there's a lot of screaming and yelling and, and, and perfecting of technique. Um, uh, but that was his deal. One of his, one of his strengths is I'll say this is Bill Parcells is probably the best coach I've ever been around football coach I've ever been around, but coach Holtz is clearly the best halftime adjustment coach I've ever been around. I mean, clearly like coach Holtz at the halftime, when we played Pittsburgh one year at, at the half, Coach Holtz comes in at the halftime and he goes, okay, defense, here's what you need to do. We're going to play base cover two and base cover three the rest of the day. No more stunts, no more blitzes. Um, Rod, I want you to play um, I want you to play inside the numbers, uh, into the boundary. And on the field, I want if you guys are to the field, I want you to play uh, um, like almost man-to-man on that guy. All right? All right, defense. Have a good day. And he walked off. And I was thinking to myself, that's, that's what's going to win. The, that's the adjustment. We got to win the game. That's kind of crazy. Listen. We went back out there and did that, and Pittsburgh didn't score another point. I mean, literally shut them down to zero. Like, I mean, like he can he can see things and simplify it in a way that makes your team so much more effective. I mean, just simple stuff. And say, you know what? I want every pass the second half in between the in between the numbers, and let's more let's have more inside runs. And he walk out, and then we do that and score thirty points in the half. I mean, like he he could just. He could just see it. He was amazing. And the fans don't realize too, Rod, uh, how important halftime is. Uh, like, obviously, for the fans, it's for taking breaks or whatever. But for football teams and stuff like that, you really see how good a coaching staff is when you make uh, second-half adjustments as well. And one thing I also, Rod, uh, from the sounds of it, there was nobody that was going to be complacent playing for a Lou Holtz team as well. Oh, oh no. He was uh, incredibly intense. Um and, you know, I mean, he's a guy that that grew up hard, you know what I mean? He had to live in his car for a little while with his wife um, and, and a newborn, you know, between coaching jobs. And and it had a head coach um, promise him a job, you know, so Coach Holtz leaves one job, gets in the car, drives to his other job, and the coach got fired. So now he's got no job, you know what I mean? And the season's getting ready to start, and he's got a family, and he's sleeping in his car for a couple of nights. Like, he's been through some really hard times. So... Um, when you have a guy like that at the top of your program, he doesn't have a lot of sympathy for you because you're having a bad day. Listen, you're on full scholarship at the University of Notre Dame. He's like, you've got it, you've got it by the, you've got it by the short hairs. You know what I mean? Like, why am I going to feel bad for you? Like, he, he, like it's it's also personal with him to get you mentally ready to handle the stress of being a starter for Notre Dame football. You know what I mean? And he's he's it, it it's it is it is personal that he wants guys in the field that have um, physical and mental toughness. Um, and again, when I say toughness, I don't mean, I don't mean what you can give. I mean, this is Bill Parcells definition of toughness and that is how much you can take. When, I, when, when Bill Parcells says, when I say toughness, I don't mean what you can give. I mean, how much can you take? How much pain, how much discomfort, how much distraction can you endure and still do the job that you're supposed to do? You know, how can you avoid distractions um, pain, discomfort, and, and, and do what you're supposed to do. That's what I mean by toughness. And and that's what Coach Holtz um, uh, beats into every player, no question about it. Now, when you were on that 1988 Notre Dame team, did you know right away as a freshman how good this team was and they were going to go 12-0 and and win a national championship that year? You know what's funny? Um, I'm a freshman, so I, I don't have a field of reference. Um but I was actually thinking about this about, about the show um, about it, but I mean, about forty five minutes ago before I got on the show with you, like to talk about this, is that 
Um, that team, that 88 team, uh, let me answer your question first. Forgive me. Okay. To answer your question, um, I knew that it was special. I, I mean, like everybody knew it was special. And, 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 and it reminds me of, of Harbaugh in Michigan, um, what he's got going there right now. Like, it's not, I hope I don't get myself in trouble here. It's not as natural for men to tell other men that they love them. It's not. I mean, we do it, of course. Even dad, I love you, but 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 it's not it's not as common for a guy who has a friend that he's that he's, that he's met for a couple of weeks to be like, "Hey, man, I love you, man." That's just that, it's just not. Now we may feel like that, but we don't express that the same way. Okay, so I say that because that '88 team, everybody on that team, it felt like they would do anything for anybody else on the team. The only word I can come up with come up with is love. The the training camp was so tough. Coach Holtz knew we had a good team. We we know we we're gonna be a championship team, but he knew we were good. So he really pushed us. I mean, so many physical drills, so much aggressive tackling, so much physical hard work against against each other. That in those situations when it's brutal, when it's grueling like that, you 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 have to count on the guy next to you. I mean, it, it puts the players in a foxhole almost like against the coach. It's like coach holds the standard and then us. And how can we combine? Because we can't do it individually. Individually, we'll get killed. we got to combine resources and work together. We've got to talk every play. Hey, Rod, what do you got? I got, I got, I got, the, I got the anger on you. Got this. Like, we, had to, we had to work together to keep Coach Holtz from killing us all. So it, it, it turned into players loving each other. And... Uh, um, and, and there was there was love in that locker room, um, and in the way the guys communicated with one another, um, in the way they in the effort that they would give, it, it was it went beyond playing for the pros or, or for the coaching staff. I mean, the guys on that team were playing for each other. You know what I mean? It always makes me tear up a bit. Like I mean, like 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 you would I would I would run full speed down the field if I and throw up if I had to to try to get a block for Rocket. I would, I would do anything, anything in the world to make sure that he's going to be okay on, the, on a run. And, and when you get, when you get 55 guys that feel like that, that they would, that they would literally throw up, spit blood, whatever they, they need to do to get a block for somebody, like you got something special. You know what I mean? And like that 88 team had that. That 88 team was clearly, clearly the least talented of the four teams I was on at Notre Dame. The league. Really? You, you really? go back and look at the roster. Less first rounders, less second rounders, less third, third rounders, less time in the, in the in the NFL, all that less. The least talented team. And it was our best because the players loved each other. And they were mean as a snake. I mean, they were they were physical, they were mean, and they loved each other. And they, and, and they were the best team, even though they were the least talented. And Notre Dame has had some great teams since then, but it just shows you how hard it is to win a national championship in college football and how special it is. And Rod, do you have that ring? Do you have that ring we could see on our, cause I was going to say, that's just, that's something they can never take away from you is winning a championship. My friend Todd, when he watches this, he'll love this. The scene that Notre Dame championship ring. Yeah, there we go. Go out. Awesome. That is the, awesome. special. Then, then on the side, it says uh, trust, love, and commitment on that side. And then that side, you can see it says it says Smith and then 12-0. and 0. 
And then, wow. the, you know, the top is national champions with the Notre Dame. And then on the inside of it, it's and the inside of it says, it says Rod Smith, Rod Smith, trust, trust, love, and commitment. Yep. That, that was our thing. Trust, trust, love, and commitment that, that season. Yeah. Do you, do you guys still get together for reunions with that 88 yeah, ab- team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the 88 team reunion is probably about every, like, I don't know, every 10 years or so, 15 years. Um, but we get to hear it all the time at, at, at football games. You know, I mean, I, I didn't get back to Notre Dame this year, but I did see them when they came up to the West Coast. I saw them at Duke. Um, uh, um, this is the first year in a long time I haven't gone to uh, been to Notre Dame, but I saw them uh, uh, saw them at Duke. Um, uh, and a bunch of guys were there too, so it was great. By the way, I did see Rocket Ismail in Toronto a month ago because the Toronto Argonauts just turned 100. 50 years old as a football franchise and they were celebrating the 91 great cup team and he was there as well and he he doesn't look like he's aged at all he looks like he could still be on the field yeah rocket's in great shape and uh um i mean he could still probably fly too i mean he was so fast it was unbelievable I mean, the fastest player i've ever been around i mean rocket ishmael and Deion sanders fastest guys i've ever been around thoughts on bo jackson oh jeez, yeah i mean as, an, as a, as a as an athlete, football, baseball player. I, I mean, I mean, literally one of the, in, in my opinion, one of the top ten athletes in world history. I mean, like he's 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 in that group. Um, I mean, to be that big and that fast and that athletic and that successful and that productive, and then be able to go hit a baseball um, and catch a baseball and run up the fence and all that. I mean, like. He uh, he was a um, he's a he's a once in a lifetime athlete and um, uh, it's funny and and not the best running back I've ever played against. The best running back ever I played that I played against was Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders was better than Bo Jackson at, at running the football, but Bo Jackson's a better athlete than Barry Sanders. <laughs> I was gonna say I was lucky. I got to see the late Walter Payton play uh, my yeah. first NFL game in 1985, and I seen Barry Sanders play and. They're just awesome, and do you know what? Growing up in the seventies, I uh, just seen so many great football players, and I, I just hate people using that word "goat" because I think every decade there's uh, so many great players. And uh, Rod, I wanted to ask you this as well. Besides some of your favorite, most memorable teammates, how much has the game changed since when you played? And uh, what what do you like about the game now than that wasn't around back in the eighties uh, and nineties? That's a great question. And um, the game has changed. Uh, and I think it's, and I think it's um, out of necessity. Um, yes, there's an opportunity to make more money if you have 17 games versus 16 games. Yes, more, more money for the owners, more money for the players, more money for television, more money for everybody. Um, but players are getting so much stronger and faster um, year over year that they had to do something to take away a little bit of the physical um, bumping and grinding um, so that the players' bodies will last. Especially if you're going to add another game of 17, you definitely need to, like, take some pressure off their bodies. You can't have full-pad practices two days a week and then expect the guys to play 17 weeks, especially today, because my theory on it is the difference between the thigh bone now and 100 years ago is zero. There's no, there's no evolutionary um, 
of difference in the thigh bone now versus somebody a thigh bone now versus a thigh bone hundred years ago. But you look at the difference in 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 squat or power clean, you know, or strength, the strength of the players, the ability to train and recover faster. I mean, you know, when the biggest football player on the field is 225 pounds and my dad's in college. You know what I mean? And now the biggest football player in the field is what 340, 350? You know, so so but but here's the thing, but their thigh bone is the same thigh bone. So there's a lot more muscle and meat on it, but the skeleton is still just the skeleton. There's a lot more muscle. You can, we can change that, but the, the skeleton's the same. So as guys get bigger, faster, stronger, and we get better technology on keeping people healthier longer and stronger longer and stronger faster, but their skeleton is the same as it was 100 years ago, you're going to have more injuries. So the, the NFL says, listen, we need to like, curb that a little bit we know the fans love passing it's more there's more activity there's more action the balls in the air it's more exciting than running game so let's try to encourage with the rules encourage more passing and discourage running we don't want to eliminate the run game but we want to discourage running a little bit more and kind of and kind of give passing a little bump and that that'll keep our guys healthy a little bit longer so we can get through the season i mean nobody wants to watch a super bowl where the top two quarterbacks are injured on both teams. No, nobody would watch that. You know what I mean? So you've got to find a way to keep players healthy longer. And that's a lot of games. I mean, if you're in the Super Bowl, I mean, if you're wild card, what is that? 21 games? I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like, so how do we keep our quarterbacks healthy for 21 games? Our, our, our linemen, our players. I mean, who, who wants to watch Super Bowl with both teams have seven offensive linemen out? I, you know, I mean, like, in the quarterbacks. I mean, like, so... So football is evolved to be more passing, less running, to protect the players and protect the audience from from the injuries of the players. Now, Rod, I wanted to ask you this as well, since you played in the 80s and 90s. I, I hear this constantly from people saying the the grass fields are fine, but the turf is bad. But this turf has got to be better than what it was in, in the 80s and 90s. It was like AstroTurf. It was like carpet. So, Ron, I want to get your thoughts on the on the turf today in college and in the NFL. Yeah, the um, the turf is absolutely better. Um, I'll put it like this. So, like, if grass, if grass is a 10 in terms of softness and not being injured, um, and the old turf was a was a two. I mean, literally, like a two. The new turf is like a five. It's better. It's 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 twice as good, even more than twice as, as good as it was before. I mean, it's funny. You got the Eagles hat on. I played. I played at Philly. I played at the Philly uh, in that vet, and I want to say in ninety. Veterans. Yeah, in in ninety ninety. 98 with the Packers. Okay. And Veteran and that Stadium field yeah. was <laughs> I mean was horrific. And I and listen, and I love playing in Philly. The fans talk so much trash. I loved it. It was great. They started booing their own team. Like they, you know, they put they they're fighting Santa Claus. I mean, it, I mean, like it was I I love Philly. I like that town. Um, I like the people, I like their energy, and like to let you know how you feel. I mean, you're you're gonna know how you're doing pretty quickly in Philadelphia, right? I I, I like that feedback. Um, but that stadium was that 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 turf literally, like you said, it was literally carpet on cement, cement uh, on cement, like like carpet on cement, and like it was amazing that I'm like, how do you guys even stay healthy? Like, 
you play one game on that turf, it felt like you played two games on, on grass. It literally did. Like it like you'd be sore and swollen swollen up for, for two weeks after that. Which college stadium had the worst turf in your time at Notre Dame? Uh college worst turf. Um I would say Michigan State at that time. Michigan State's turf was awful. It was hard and had like like lumpy, like like little sections. So you'd be running on solid, and you hit something hollow because you'd hit like a like an open space underneath the turf. Um, so it was like hollow in area. So like it just felt weird on your feet. And I'm surprised you didn't lose more uh, MCLs in that thing and ACLs because it was uh, it was horrible. Hey, Rod, are you okay for a few more minutes? A few more yeah, questions? Yeah, yeah, let it rock. Okay, okay. Uh, this one I wanted to ask you as well, and then we'll get to the NFL talk. Um, we, you already answered the one part of this question. What was it like uh, defeating the number three rated team, uh, the West Virginia Mountaineers and the Sunkiss uh, Fiesta Bowl? And did you guys feel back then that Notre Dame wasn't given much of a chance to win a championship, like the underdog mentality? Yeah, you know, um, uh, it's it's funny. Um, I want to sure answer your question first. Okay, I guess I got a story behind this, but to answer your question, um, uh, we felt that this is, this is so weird. Here, here's what here's what happens. Um, this is this is definitely inside the lines, and and I hope people understand what I'm what I'm saying. Um, at some point during the during the competitive process. Um, you stop worrying about like the score. You, you stop worrying about about your reputation to the world, and you start to worry about am I am I challenging myself, and am I challenging the man across from me to the best of my ability? Am I am I doing everything I can to punish this man? for being in front of me, like for the gall for him to like, think he could come out here and like beat me at this position. Am I, am I challenging him with every fiber of my being, not just my physical, but also with my emotional and my mental capability. Am I beating him mentally, emotionally, and physically to a pulp in, 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 and how in part two would be in how am I, how am I helping my teammates beat the guy across from them into the ground. And the score will take care of itself. The, the, the reputation of our team will take care of itself. All I'm focused on is how do I destroy these wide receivers? How do I help my, my teammates destroy these wide receivers? How do I help my linebackers destroy? Like, what can I do to make sure we're destroying them on every snap? What can I do to get ready? And what can I do in the game? Is there How can I get better, more effort? And when you get a team like that, when you when you get guys in that mindset, that's what Michigan's got going right now. You know what I mean? You the way they talk, you know, they go on the air. Oh, I love you, Coach Harbaugh. I love the f out of you. I love the s out of you. And these kids, I love the f out of them. About, I mean, like, like people are like, what's he crying about? I'm like, I can tell you what he's crying about. He's crying because he feels it in his chest because he is so because he literally is in love with his head coach. He is in love with his players. He is in love with their process and so proud of what they did. It, it moves him to tears. A grown man, football coach, crying like a little girl on national television because he's emotionally moved to that. that. That's where he is. And when you get a team of guys 
like that, feeling that emotion. Like, forget the score. Forget the score. We're going to run it on you 32 times in a row. It's funny, after that game, I said, you know what? I've seen this before. i got to run this back again. I, I got on YouTube, and I found Notre Dame versus Michigan, 1989. We, we, we went up to Michigan against Bo Schembechler, and we ran the ball for 313 yards. Anthony wow. Johnson and Ricky Waters put on a clinic. And we ran it over and over and over and over. And a lot of times we got one yard, two yards, three yards, lost two yards. They were, they were, they're not all wins. They're, but that, listen, it's not, a, it's not about the wins. It's about just getting your helmet on that guy. Every play, putting that helmet on the guy over and over. And you're trying to break him. And you just got, I'm going to break you. I'm going to break you. I'm going to break you. And, and that's what Michigan's got. And that's what we had. So to circle all the way back, we're playing against West Virginia in that in that championship game, and they were saying, oh, West Virginia might win the game. We're like, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't care what you say because come come 7 o'clock p.m., they're going to have to see me. You know what I mean? And like, and like little little 180-pound Ross Smith is going to hit you in the face as hard as I possibly can every single chance I get running as fast as I can possibly run. I'm going to give you everything I possibly have on every single snap and let the chips fall where they may. And I feel like if we do that, we're going to come out victorious. And that's all that matters. What was it like experiencing that championship season in 1988? And uh, who were some of the toughest receivers you dealt, you faced in your college football career with Notre Dame? Before we get to some NFL questions. Yeah. Um, winning, the, winning the NCAA championship is, uh, you know, it's funny. Again, it's the same thing. For me, it was kind of surreal. I mean, we won it, and we won the last game, and you we're walking off the field, and I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. But, but like, it, it's so weird. You, you, I mean, at least I did. I, I got, like, away from the, like, um, the rewards. You know, I was just, I was more concerned with, with the work. I really was. I was like, okay, well, that's cool. We're going to get rings. That's pretty cool. But, like, you know, how many weeks off do we get before we start training? I mean, literally, I was like, all right, so how many weeks do we have off before offseason starts? Like, you know, I mean, I'm a freshman. Like, I, I'm going to play more next year. I'm probably going to move to defense. Like, when can I start training again? You know what I mean? Like, that was my – literally, two hours after the game, I was I was with the I was with the strength coach, Pete Perel, saying, hey, we went, when are we starting up again? He's like, are you serious? We just won the game two hours. I'm like, I know, but, like, I just want to know what the schedule is. Like, I asked him. I said, listen, when are, we, when are we training again? You know what I mean? Like, I was ready to get back at it. Um, uh, um. I think I think that's the right attitude, you know what I mean? But it, it's uh, it, I know it sounds weird. People say, "Oh, it's, it's always about the score and trying to win the game." I'm like, the truth is, no, no. Sometimes it gets it, it gets about something bigger than the game. It gets it gets to a it it gets it gets about it becomes about the work, you know. Like we talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, or, or right before we got on air. Like yeah. it's a it's about, it literally becomes about the work. Like, what do I need to do to make sure that we play well? And I want to do that all day, every day, as long as I can. Like, the, the score will take care of itself. You know, our ranking will take care of itself. If I do everything, if Ross Smith does everything he can, and I love my teammates, like, that'll take care of itself, you know? So, yeah. And last Notre Dame question for you before we get to some NFL questions. I wanted to ask you this, Rob. What's your thought on the current state of Notre Dame football? And, uh, there were 45-7 went over a week forced on Saturday. Um, I think that, um, you know, it, it's it's really, I mean, it's a little bit different, but when Coach Holtz took over Notre Dame, people forget about what happened in, in uh, 86 and 87. 
You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, uh, and Freeman's doing better now than Lou Holtz did his first two years, right? Um, uh, so, yeah, and you're talking about a guy who had never been a head coach at any point in his life. And his first job being head coach isn't at a high school. It's at the University of Notre Dame. I, I mean, like, are you kidding me right now? Like that, I mean, you're you're starting your job, you're starting your first time head coach at Notre Dame. That's um, that's that's insane. Like he's never had a staff under him before. He's never recruit been the head of recruiting before. He's never he's never made all the the media um um responsibilities that the head coach has. You know, he's, 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 he's the radio show and the talk show and the television show and all the media. Like half of being a head coach is 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 things that are off the field. When you're the head coach, half, half the job is off the field. When you're a defensive coordinator, 95% of your job is on the field. When you're a head coach, half your job is on the field. People, people don't realize that. It's, 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 more, it's, it's half administrative. You know what I mean? Um, he's never done that before. So I'm giving him lots of grace. I, I'm not going to judge Freeman for four years. I'm giving him full four full years before we get on, we do another show again, and I can tell you, okay, here's what I think about him. Until then, I'm just letting him get his feet down, figure out how to get a staff. You know, like year one, he had to make some changes to year two. He'll make some more changes year three. He get, he'll get better every year. Uh, the Ohio State game, for example, his coaching staff had never been in a situation where the, where the stakes were that high. All right? When you've got 15 million people watching, it is a Saturday night game, and it is going down to the wire, and you don't have the right protocols to make sure that you've got 11 guys in the field because it's never been a problem before, but it becomes a problem under the highest stressful situations, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, USC, Alabama. I mean, down the stretch, Ohio State, Michigan, those big, the huge games, the ones that determine who the national championship is. In those situations, you've got to have protocol so that you don't have to think about the little things. Otherwise, you miss them, and they miss. But here's what happens. That'll never happen again, number one, okay? They've got protocols in now to make sure they got 11 guys who's going to check. Like, so, like, they've gotten better as a staff, but the only way you get better is to play Ohio State and take the L. And now your whole staff learns, ah, here's what we can do to get better. Just like Coach Holtz, that second year, all right? You go down to Miami, you get smashed. And, you, and guess what? We got better. He got better. He goes, okay, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to make some changes about special teams. We give up a, a, a pump for a touchdown. We need to change our special teams. Like we need, to, we need to reconfigure this thing so that we don't let that happen to us again. And every coaching staff has to go through that development, let alone a guy that's never been a head coach before in his life. I mean, Coach Holtz had years of being head coach before he got to Notre Dame, and he still had to, like, learn it. This guy's coming his first time as a head coach, and he's trying to learn it. So, like, I tell everybody, like, let's have a little patience. People say, you got to look great. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're in the top 20. We're fine. All right. Like, let him keep building. He's recruiting fine. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not judging him for four years. All right. And uh, do you think Notre Dame will ever join, like, the Big Ten? Or do you think Notre Dame will stay in as an independent? I, I think Notre Dame stays independent. Um, it's just who we are. I, I say that and watch they join the conference tomorrow. But from what I've seen and, and what I know about the program, they are they are they are bent on being independent. Absolutely, hundred percent. Okay, and I'm gonna get to some NFL questions if you're okay for a few more sure, minutes. Yeah, right? Far away. Okay, no problem. 
Um, what was it like being drafted in the second round of the 92 NFL draft by the New England Patriots, who were a struggling franchise at that time as a, a cornerback in the safety? And um, just thoughts on getting into the NFL? Yeah, it, it was um, uh, one of the coolest days of my life. Um, um, and not for me, but seeing my father um, sitting there. Um, I went home to Minnesota and was in my in my basement. Um, with my dad watching television and um, funny story, the, the phone rang um, at the um, the 30, 33rd pick in the draft, phone rings. And uh, my dad picks up the phone. Hey, coach, good to talk to you. Blah, blah, they talked a little bit. He goes, hey, Rod, it's Coach Johnson. I went, who? He goes, Coach Jimmy Johnson. I went, oh, my gosh. I went over the phone. Coach Jimmy Johnson jumps on the phone. He says, hey, Rod, uh, listen, we're going to move up to 37th in the draft and, uh, and pick you. I was like, oh, man, you want to be a Dallas Cowboy? I said, oh, my gosh, I can't wait. Are you kidding me? Jimmy Johnson? I mean, listen, we knew he was going to win championships. He already had Michael Irvin. He already had Troy Aikman. Um, Emma Smith was there. At Miami, he was an absolute monster. Um, we beat him in 88 in that game at Notre Dame. But Jimmy Johnson went for two at the end of that game to try to win the thing. He could have gone for one, uh, kicked the field goal, tied the thing, and stayed number one. And he'd have been wearing the ring. But Jimmy Johnson plays to win the game how can you not respect a competitor like that forget championships i'm here to kick your butt you know what i mean like and he said after the game he said when i get on a plane to fly to a place i'm look i'm gonna come i'm coming back with a w or nothing i was like wow i mean i love that attitude and 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 nobody would admit this publicly but privately i'll tell you after that miami and Notre Dame game in 1988 all of us players were like Jimmy Johnson's a savage. Jimmy Johnson is a man among men. And if you can't appreciate his competitive spirit going for two, you're playing the wrong game. Like everybody on our team was like, that guy, I'd play for that guy. Not, not over Coach Holtz, but just saying that like, if I couldn't have Coach Holtz, I'll take Jimmy Johnson quickly, right? So everybody had a ton of respect for him. So he makes the call. And then sure enough, uh, 30, 30, you know, 32nd pick, 33rd pick, 34th pick, 35th pick. Now, remember, Jimmy said he's going to pick me at 37. So here comes 35. Uh, the New England Patriots trade up with the New York Jets and draft cornerback Rod Smith, University of Notre Dame. I just went like this. I went, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, no. Boston versus Dallas? Okay, let's not talk about the weather, all right? And the in the in the uh, Dallas was rising, and New England was 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 diving. So I go to New England, um, and then the, now that's one part. But also, it's also that's part of it. But the other part of it is you drafted in the second round, and like in in your football dreams just came true. And I look over at my dad; he's got tears in his eyes. And uh, if I talk about you, I make me start crying too. Like you know, I seen your dad teared up, um, happy for his son. It um, it's um. It's something that I'll I'll never forget. Um, one of the one of the one of the brightest memories I have uh, on this planet is is uh, is seeing his satisfaction. Um, it still moves me to this day. Um, um, so it was a it was a it was a magical uh, moment for sure, um, and I'm very excited to, to go to New England and, and go to and go to war. Um, um, a little hurt that I didn't get a chance to go to Dallas and play for Jimmy Johnson. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, but it was a, it was one of the best days of my life. 
And the and the Patriots weren't that far away from turning things around because in '93 they hired Bill Parcells, and then 1994 Robert Kraft came in. So you were kind of the start of what was to become just before Belichick and Brady. That's exactly right. You know, like if you listen to Ty Law talk about it, like on his Hall of Fame speech, you know, he's talking about the Patriot Way. The Patriot Way was built under Bill Parcells. The Patriot way was was Bill Parcells comes in. We're the worst team in the league in 92 when I get drafted. We're the worst team in the league. We're 2-14. and, and 14. That's how we got Drew Bledsoe. How so hard Rick was Martin, that? How... Name was number two. Yeah, how... we get Drew Bledsoe. Yeah. Um, Bill Parcells comes in. We get Drew Bledsoe. And um, I start the last eight games of that season and then start my second year, I mean, my third year, um, under Bill Parcells, which is amazing. Bill Parcells is just an amazing man, an amazing coach, still a mentor of mine. Um, uh and so and so good coaching individuals. His genius was his ability to coach Rod Smith versus Sterling Sharp versus coaching you versus Sterling Sharp versus coaching my brother versus Sterling Sharp versus coaching my mom versus Sterling Sharp. What he tells each of us will be completely different because your strengths are different than my strengths. So he may he'll say to me, "Hey Rod, when you got, when you're on Sterling Sharp, I want you to stop the the hitch in the out route." He'll tell you. Hey, listen, when you got Sterling Sharp, I want you to stop the go route in this land. He, he's coaching every single player on his team individually versus every single player on the other team. That's that's his genius, right? Um, and we got good at Notre Dame. We got good at uh, New England quickly. You know, the first year we were, I think, 10 and 6. And then next year we went to 10 and we, we were, sorry, we were 6 and 10. Six and ten, and then the second year there, we went. To, we were ten and six, and made the playoffs in '94. Yeah, we got good quick. How hard was it going from college football to the NFL? How much of an adjustment? And being uh, in a winning program at Notre Dame, how hard was that two and fourteen season for you as a professional athlete? The two and fourteen season was surreal. I mean, I just couldn't believe that we were that bad. Um, um, it's kind of funny, but to be honest, like, listen, but I'm a rookie. So like, I, I, I can't take it too personally. I'm like, I, I just got here. I'm a rookie. Like I'm playing special teams. I'm, I'm the nickel. Um, I started two games. Like, you know, I mean, I, like, you know, we're, we're not very good, but I, you know, I hope it's not my fault. Like, you know, I mean, I, you know, I just got here. Um, so you can, you can kind of separate yourself a little bit from it. Um, when it's that bad. Um, uh, but so glad to get, um, get Parcells coming in and um, and have a chance to play from one of the best coaches ever. And he made me a much better player. And um, uh, I, I enjoyed playing for him. I did. And it, it's intense. Don't get me wrong. It's like, like Coach Holtz in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he gets after you pretty good um, if things aren't right. But he also um, he also will compliment you. You know, he's also um, – I think the reason why he has so much love and so much trust from players is because he will give it to you both ways. He will scream and yell. You know, I got beat for a, a touchdown by by um, um, uh, Reed for a Buffalo. Andre Reed, Andrew beat Reed. A, a, yeah, beat for a game-winning touchdown on a corner route. And there's a big picture of him in the Boston Globe, like just screaming at me walking up the sidelines. Um, but that same guy, like a week later, you know, he's got his armor on me after making when I make an interception against Brett Favre. He's got his armor on me, saying that's that the best pick of the whole season. Like so, like. You get it both ways. Like you get it when you screw up, and you also get like praise when you do well. And and it, so, how can you not respect that? 
You know what I mean? Like, you know those guys that just yell and yell and yell all the time? Yes. They, they lose punch after a while because it's like, all you do is yell, coach. You never say, I mean, like, all you do is yell. Like, you just yell. So it kind of loses its punch. But the way Bill Parcells keeps keeps his punch is because he'll also pull you aside and say, hey, man, that was that was the best pick I've ever seen, you know, this this season. That was amazing. And you're getting better as a player. I'm glad you're here. He'd say that to you. You know what I mean? And so, you know, when you get the love and the hate, it's, it's not so bad. Most memorable, most memorable Bill Parcells moment. You had him as a coach. Um, huh, it's funny. Bill Parcells saying that uh, in the Boston Globe, saying about Rod Smith, one of my favorite things uh, in my career. He said, um, he said, I didn't know that it was possible for an athlete of Rod's caliber to have hands that bad. His hand, Rod's got the worst hands I've ever seen, and he's one of the best athletes I've ever coached. It's, it's a, I can't believe that 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 somebody can can catch it that poorly, and be that good of an athlete. But he is also one of the most physical cornerbacks in the National Football League, and one of the most football, one of the most physical cornerbacks I've ever coached. And if he continues to play with that kind of physical intensity, he will be in this league as long as his body will hold out. And that is that is the single greatest compliment that I ever received during my during my time. Was there a player that you kind of tried to take a little bit of their game and put into your game with your physicality? Like uh, I'm thinking of uh, a gentleman from San Francisco, Ronnie Lott. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that's that, that you're prepared. You've done your scouting, 100. percent Ronnie Lott was uh, was my hero and and my mentor, and. Um, I read his book my junior year at Notre Dame, and I tried to emulate him everywhere I can or could, and uh, um, being as physical as possible. Um, and it's and it's you know when I talk to kids, I tell them this too, like like you know don't don't be intimidated, you know, by size, you know, um, you know, um, you know, it's 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 mass versus velocity, right? You know, mass times velocity, so. You know, there are guys that are a lot bigger than us. I'm 185 pounds. You know, there's a big lineman pulling out. He's 300 pounds. You think, oh, Rod's going to get clobbered. But a couple things. Number one is I'm moving, I'm, I'm moving a lot faster than anybody that lineman sees all day. I mean, the defensive linemen are not moving nearly as fast as Rod Smith's moving, number one. So he's not – I'm bringing I'm bringing a lot more speed than he's than he's used to. And I've got more more mobility. So I can start – I can give him some move. I can, I can get him off his center. He can't just run in a straight line and hit me. Cause I'm going to give him some moves. He, he's got to, he's got to break down, slow down, gather himself. And now I've got him. If I can get him moving a little bit, now I can hit him right in the face. Bang. And and they never expect a little guy to challenge them square up physically. They don't, they don't expect that. So, um, so, you know, I used to love hitting linemen and fullbacks and big, big bigger guys than me and just hit him right in the chest. I mean, just face, press, face, press, bang, you know, and, 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 Yes, you're gonna lose some. Let's be. I mean, it's not. It's not perfect. You're gonna lose a few, okay? But you're gonna win probably ninety percent of them. You know, ninety percent of the time, the guy's not quite ready for you to hit him. You know what I mean? Like, like, like. There's a certain. There's like a golf club. There's a certain point at the bottom of the swing where the golf club is is moving its its top speed, right? It's the same thing with hitting somebody. Like, there's a, there's like six inches where you where all of your energy is like maxed out. And if you can get a big lineman moving and then he doesn't know where his energy is and then your energy, you can put right on his chest, bang. So um, 
Ronnie Lott like introduced that idea to me and and I just ran with it. So like I used to just run and just hit Lyman in the chest and, and just <laughs> smash him and, and they always look at me like, I can't believe that happened. I'm like, believe it. So yeah, Ronnie Lott's the hero. And there's another guy too I really liked as well was the Pittsburgh Steeler, Rod Woodson as well. Yeah, Rod Woodson was a great player. Um, uh, rangy, long, um, could play corner or safety, uh, 6'2", long arms. Um, great hands, uh, great anticipation, um, was a high school quarterback. So, like, he's got a really good feel of where the ball should go and, like, where it should come out and, like, the, the angles. Um, he was a monster. He absolutely was. And uh, every time he played him, he was a problem. I mean, it's funny. Coach, Coach um, Parcells would say, when we're playing against Deion Sanders or Rod Woodson, he'd say, all week long in practice, he'd say, listen, I don't want the ball thrown anywhere near them. If Rod Woodson or Deion Sanders is on the right side of the field, we're going to throw it to the left. If those guys are on the left side of the field, we're going to throw it to the right. We're, we are we are absolutely not going to throw the ball on the half of the field. Think about that. Those guys took away half of the field for our passing attack. And it worked. Wow. They, they didn't intercept us. You know what I mean? We won both games. So um, that's for Parcells. Saying we're not, we are not throwing the ball at Deion Sanders today at all. None or Rod Woodson, not happening. That's how that's how much, how much respect he had for, the, for those players. Do you remember your first NFL game as a starter? And uh, who were some of the receivers, tight ends that you covered in your first season that were uh, kind of difficult to, to go against? Um, I do. Um, uh, it was against Atlanta, uh, my first start. And I was in the slot, and I think I was matched up most of the game with uh, Terrell Mathis, who is uh, um, a, a friend of mine. I don't, I don't want to say nemesis, but, like, one of the guys I really enjoyed competing against. And we went hard at each other. And, um, um, it, I mean, intense, but but respectful, you know. And I have a lot of respect for him. I still do. He's a great player. And, and um, it, was, it was willing to block, willing to be physical, ran great routes. Um, a, a complete pro, um, not a trash talker, just 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 trying to play the best he can. And I did the same thing. Really enjoyed playing against him. Um, uh, um, and, and and forgive me. And Moses, I was thinking about Terrence. He's such a great dude. Um, but but quick, um, smart, um, and tough. And really enjoyed playing against him. And then what was the second part of your question? Just some of the tight ends you covered and, and and receivers, and you're going against the Buffalo Bills that were in the middle of uh, going to four Super Bowls in a row. Was the K gun offense? Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid, Bruce Smith, Daryl Talley. Yeah. yeah, they were really good, and uh, playing in Buffalo was was uh, was amazing. Playing at Buffalo was one of the most was one of the best games. Um, uh, of my career. I, I really enjoyed playing those guys. I mean, the Bills fans were just absolutely out of control. They're, they're rocking the bus when you pull up. Like, the the um, the entire parking lot is full of cars. I mean, as far as you can see, there's, like, tailgating. It was amazing. They got upstate New York are so excited about their team. Um, and then, I, then I'm playing against Andre Reid in the slot all day long, you know? So even if I was a starter in a corner, I'd move in and play him on the slot. Um, it was a war. I mean, like, I won some, I lost some. I mean, he, he probably got me for I was up there for three years. He probably got me for two touchdowns, maybe three touchdowns. I mean, he got he got some of his. He got his. I mean, I had an interception against him. I knocked him around a little bit on some plays against the run plays. I thought I did better um, uh, with run plays. Um, but like, but I mean, 
you know, but competed. We went at it and 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 um and slugged it out. And I another game I really enjoyed playing against Andre Reed. I mean, he was physical and tough and smart. Um, um, in no way there's no cheap shots or anything like that going on. We're just good, hard playing football and uh, um, a ton of respect for him. He was a great player. Um, Kelly was a great player too. Um, uh, even Don Beebe out there at, at wideout was, was super fast. And then a big challenge playing Buffalo was people don't talk enough about Steve Tasker. Was so good oh, yes. at special teams. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, if you don't put an ace, and we didn't talk about this at all, but like, I, I made a, I made a lot of money on special teams, um, and a lot of guys think like, oh, special teams this is demotion. I don't play special teams. I, I always love special teams because it's a place where a little guy can run around in space. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm curbing a kick, like, like I'm running full speed, and and you're gonna try to block me with the with the tackle. You're going to try to block me with a tight end? How can a tight end block me, Rod Smith, running full speed, running 22 miles an hour, zigging and zagging? How's that big guy going to get his paws on me? It's not going to happen. So, like, it just gives me a chance to just make a bunch of tackles, a bunch of big hits. Um, so I love playing special teams. So every time we played against um, um, uh, a Buffalo, um, Bill Parcells would put me on Steve Tasker. He goes, listen, you got Tasker. You know what I mean? And Tasker went to, Tasker went to the Pro Bowl my – my third year and I was the alternate. So I was behind him. I mean, I didn't go. I mean, he went, but like, but like that's, I was good on special teams, really good on special teams. And like the, the battle against Buffalo against Steve Tasker was, was, was big on big. I mean, it was monumental. And, and we would meet before the game at, at, at midfield. I, I, I got the midfield and he come walking over and we hug it out. Like, how you doing, man? Good. He goes, listen, what you, what you got for me? He bucking kicks. He's like, yeah, we, we, we small talk a little bit. Like, all right. I mean, like, and just kind of hang on and talk. Like, yeah, hey, how, how's practice? How's the team look? How, you know, how you guys feeling? You know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, we just chatted up. Like, we, we kind of became friends because, you know, we knew he, and listen, and he had me. So if, if he's covering the kick, I was blocking him. And if I was blocked, and if I was covering the kick, he was blocking me. You know what I mean? So, like, their coach, Levy, was thinking the same thing that Bill Parcells was. Like, I'm going to put my best player on your best player. And it, and it was – that's a, a sign of respect, but, like, just a really cool battle, you know, out there with Steve Tasker. It was amazing. Steve Tasker, a Hall of Famer, in your opinion? Absolutely, 100%. 100%. I mean, he he won and lost games, and people don't, don't talk about it nearly enough. You know, about a third of the plays in a game are special teams. Right. Yep, and, yep. And, pe- and people forget that, like, let's say there's let's say there's let's say there's an NFL average is probably somewhere around 14 first downs a game. Especially teams will give you like seven or eight first downs. You know what I mean? Like if, if you if you catch a punt on the spot or if you catch a punt and gain 10 yards, that's a first down. You, you just made a first down yards. So like those first downs count. People like the fans don't see it that way, but the and the coaches certainly do. If, if you get a kickoff return, if you kick it out to the twenty or the thirty, if you get it to the twenty, that's one thing. But the thirty, that's another first down. That's called that's a first down of yardage gain. And those little ten yard increments help you win the football game. They absolutely do. So um, Tasker didn't get nearly enough credit for for how many games he won for the Bills, like hitting guys right when they caught the ball at punt, or like stripping a guy, or like making a great tackle or a great block. Like he sprung so many guys to make plays. Um, yeah, man. So it's a, uh, Steve Tasker was a monster game changer. He should be in the hall of fame. He was also a very good wide receiver for the bills too. When he filled in for some injuries and his son, Luke Tasker 
played in the Canadian Football League with Hamilton, uh, the Tiger Cats, for seven years. And he was a, a CFL All-Star, I think, for five or six of those years. And uh, Luke, uh, to me, was sort of like his dad. Great football IQ and was always well-prepared. Smart player, ran the right, right routes. And uh, um, Luke had a great career up here in Canada as well. And he, he does color analysts for the Hamilton Tiger Cats as well. Uh, that didn't surprise me at all. Steve Pascal was always wildly prepared, um, studied all of your little increments, uh, your little your little habits, and was uh, was ready to jump on. If you if you like to stand a certain way to do a certain release, you better change it up because Steve Pascal is going to pound you if you do that same thing. So yeah, he was always always super prepared. Hey Ron, I want to apologize. I've kept you over an hour and twenty minutes, but it's just <laughs> it's just been great talking to you. And uh, that's all right. Time- do I have time to get one more question in front? A hundred percent, absolutely. Okay, because I wanted to ask you this as well. Obviously, you went to Carolina when they were an expansion team. You helped them, but uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, being on that '98 Green Bay Packers team with Mike Holmgren and Brett Favre and the late great Reggie White and some of those great players on that team? Yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, um, great players. Uh, when I first walked in the facility, um, uh, surprisingly, I, I did not expect this. I thought Brett Favre was, a, was just a gunner, um, just lets it fly, you know, open man gets the ball. Um, he was much more cerebral about the game than I anticipated. You love this. So here's the first thing he says to me. I walk in the locker room, he sees me, because he comes running up. He goes, oh, right. Hey, I'm glad you're here, man. Glad you're here. Hey, listen, I got a question for you. I'm like, what's that? He's like, listen. Back in 93, we ran a skinny post in the second quarter. You picked it off. How'd you know it was a skinny post? And I was like, oh, because on second and 10, inside the 30, that's what you guys always do. And he was like, ah, oh, split backs? And I go, yep, split backs. And he was like, I knew it. I've been telling him for years not to run that damn thing. I knew it. I mean, <laughs> so the first thing Brett says to me when he sees me is ask me about a play that happened five years earlier. Wow. And he remembered it. He remembered the situation that it was second and 10, coming out of the red zone. And like, and that's the first thing he said to me. So that just gives you an idea of kind of how he's how he's mapping out the plays that he makes over the course of his career. He's got a whole web of plays that he has in his mind that that he's got up there. I mean, I didn't expect that. Um, Mike Holmgren was a great coach, not a good coach, a great coach. Um, um, not a screamer yeller. Was a was a was a pull you aside guy. You know what I mean? It would say. He'll pull you aside and say, hey, Rod, you need to get better at this. You need to work on this, whatever that. Or say, listen, you did a good job today, that kind of thing. Not, a, not one of those guys, more like a Bill Walsh guy than a Parcells. Parcells is walking around the facility screaming at everybody and hugging everybody, screaming and hugging, screaming and hugging. Um, Holmgren was just watching and mumbling. And then he'd pull you aside after practice and say something to you or pull you aside during the practice and talk to you like one-on-one. He wasn't a big screamer, yeller guy, but genius um, uh, and great technician. Um uh, Fritz Schirmer was a defensive coordinator. was a monster. Should be in the Hall of Fame. It was amazing. Um, Reggie White. I mean, come on, man. Just a class by himself. Um, Reggie White would. Reggie White would keep. I asked him this. I said, Reggie, um, what are you doing? I mean, it, in, in the fourth quarter, you always make plays. Like, what? 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 How is that? Like, what are you doing? And he was like, Rod, I'll tell you what, man. Between you and I, he goes, listen. I always have a move that I can use when we really need it. I always try to keep one move in my in my in my pocket so that if we get into a really dire situation, we're playing San Francisco Monday Night Football, you know, 
it's third and third and six, you know, from the from the 13 yard line at the end of the game, money in the football, Reggie Weiss makes a sack. And Reggie Weiss, like, I've been setting him up for that sack all day. And I've been holding it because I want to make sure that I've got a good rush that I can use on this guy when we really need it. And he would do that. At the end of the game, he'd make a sack on the last drive of the game. Reggie White made a sack. I mean, I'm telling you, every other game on the last drive, Reggie White would make a sack. And, and, and that, was his, that was his game plan. He said, I always keep a rush move that I know is going to work in my pocket from when we really need it. And then he would pull it out. Is that sick? How can, how can anybody decide, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a sack uh, on the last drive when, when they really need it. I mean, it's, it was amazing. The two greatest defensive ends in my lifetime I've ever seen play in the National Football League. Obviously, the late Reggie White and uh, number 78, Bruce Smith with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, Bruce was a monster, too. Absolutely fast, um, fast, quick. I mean, on the snap of the ball, I mean, you really had to be sharp on the snap because that guy would could could – and I don't mean like guessing and timing. I just mean raw quickness. I mean, can see the ball snap and then just ex- bang, explode. He's not cheating. He's not like jumping offside and all that. No, no, no. He's looking at the ball. And when the ball moves, bang, he shot out of a cannon. It's amazing. Amazing. Best, I've ever, best first step I've ever seen. And that Packers team was very close to repeating. Unfortunately, they ran into a, a red-hot Denver Broncos team and John Elway in that Super Bowl. I believe it was in San Diego at Qualcomm Stadium that year. Yeah, that that actually that was actually that was actually the next year. That okay. year we, we went up to San Francisco and played Terrell well, well, played Terrell Owens, but after he caught that game winner, he was TO. He was Terrell Owens in pregame. In post-game, he was T.O. How hard was he? Before he wrapped this up, how great of a receiver was he in an athlete trial on oh, T.O.? Oh, just a monster. Um, I mean, 6'4", long arms, huge hands, tough as nails, um, amazing condition. Um, people don't talk about that enough either. Like, he was one of the best conditioned athletes in the, in the entire National Football League. I mean, never got tired, could run full speed all day long. Um, that was one of the things I worked on, too, was conditioning. Like, really try to make it a weapon for me. But Trell Owens was the same way. Jerry Rice was the same way. Conditioning was was amazing. Um, uh, and um, and just in great hands and great technique. I mean, the guy practiced with, alongside Jerry Rice for, like, four or five years. I mean, like, doing his workouts. I mean, like, and he's a great athlete. Like, you're you're going to be a great player. That's what he was. He was Jerry Rice, but bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah. All right. Ron, I'm going to wrap this up. But, hey, I want to say thank you for coming on today. Have you ever thought about writing a book at some point of your career with Notre Dame and your NFL experiences? You know what? Um, we actually have. My fiance uh, brought that up. Like, let's 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 put a book together. So we're we're gonna work on that. If you have anybody that you know or that could help, whatever, like uh, I'm all ears. Definitely, like, let me know. But yeah, we are. That's gonna happen. We're gonna we're gonna do a book. Okay. And uh, I'm gonna put you on the spot before we wrap this up. Monday Night Football, Super Bowl Fifty Seven rematch between my Eagles and the Chiefs. How do you see this game plant going out tonight at eight fifteen in Kansas City? I I like the Eagles. I do. Really? Um, I think um, the Eagles are eight and one, and I don't think they played maxed out yet. They haven't played their absolute best yet, and they're still eight and one. But they're so well coordinated. 
They're so physically tough and big and nasty on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And that's how you win games in uh, in November, December. I mean, especially December, January. You've got to have big, mean, tough guys that can push people around. And um, the Eagles have that uh, in spades. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Eagles struggle a little bit on offense because the Kansas City defense is really, really good. good they are good. legit. Okay, so I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's 35 to 21, but I could see something like, you know, 21-14, 21-17 Eagles, something like that. I have a 23-20 Eagles, but I think an like X that. factor tonight is going to be it's going to be Jalen Hurts because I know he's had two weeks off, but he's got a knee injury, and for a guy like Hurts, that's huge. But I think he's progressed as a pocket quarterback now, and his accuracy I think has in, improved over the last couple of years. So I, I think the Eagles can win this game, but I think it's going to be a three point game come down to a field goal by Jake Elliott, 23-20. Yeah, I, I like 23-20. What did I just say? I, I went 21-17. I went yeah, yeah. We're, we're, yeah, we're thinking the same. Great minds think alike. And, okay, and um, where can my audience follow you on social media, Rod, and your website? And uh, just promote yourself a little bit here before we wrap up. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, um, I'm uh, um, Rod Smith uh, ND, and then my TikTok handle is – I should know this by now. Oh, gosh, I'm embarrassed. Um, TikTok handle is the official Rod Smith. Rod, no, sorry, Rod Smith official. There we go, Rod Smith official, and then um, uh, Rod Smith ND. And I have your website on here as well. Wonderful. Yeah, okay, Rod, right. yeah, and Rod I'll Smith for... ND. There you go. That's the website. Yeah. Okay, and I, and I'll, I'll look for you on TikTok tonight if you do a live uh, for the Eagles Chiefs game. And uh, if you can give me a little bit of time tonight, I will email you a. Uh, audio and video copy of our show as well and uh, i want to say thank you so much for coming on rod i could have talked to you for about five or six hours <laughs> about football but thank you so much i really appreciate you uh coming on and our show will air on wqee 99.1 fm most likely tomorrow night and i will give you the link for that station as well i appreciate it thank you so much for having me it's been wonderful um uh, i've been I, like i said before i appreciate your your preparation um uh, Chris is really is amazing. It's first class, and uh, it's been an honor. And uh, and yeah, it's uh, I'm gonna go live tonight for the uh, for the first half of the game. So yeah, jump on in and uh, on the TikTok, and let's do it. And good luck to your Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish. I think they play Saturday on the road. I believe Stanford. That's right, on the road at Stanford. And uh, um, I'm hoping that Sam Hartman brings his A game, and we can get this thing wrapped up by the halftime. Okay. Well, again, Rod, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great evening. Enjoy the Eagles Chiefs game, and we'll talk to you soon on social media on TikTok. Sounds good, Chris. Appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. Thank See you tonight. You, you too, Rod. Thank you. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed Season 7, Episode 5 of Live with CDP Sports Talk, sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet here in Guelph with my guest Rod Smith who is a former NFL quarterback with the New England Patriots, Carolina Panthers, Green Bay Packers, and a member of the 1988 NCAA national champion, Notre Dame Fighting Irish as well. And if you give me a little bit of time, guys, tonight, I will have this episode downloaded to video and audio as well. Before we wrap up this show, guys, I'm going to air an interview I did last Wednesday at the Hamilton Convention Center with uh, wide receiver, 
Tyson Philpot of the uh, Montreal Alouettes just before they won the Grey Cup. And uh, Tyson was named the most outstanding player in the, the Grey Cup yesterday for the Montreal Alouettes in their 28-24 win over the, Montreal, over, over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And here's my interview with Tyson Philpot from the Montreal Alouettes. A radio host of uh, Live with CDP Sports Talk on WQEE 99.1 FM in Metro Atlanta. I'm here at the Hamilton Convention Center this afternoon. I have a special guest with me, and his name is Tyson Philpott from the Montreal Alouettes. Tyson, thoughts on the uh, big win against the Toronto Argonauts on Saturday at BMO Field? Oh, just excited, you know. Uh, we, we Our 1-0 goal was done, you know. We were the underdogs in that game. Not a lot of people counted us to win, and we went in there and did exactly what we uh, knew we were going to do, and we took the game from them, and uh, we ended that game early. What adjustments did you guys make in that game against the Argonauts from pre the previous three matches in the regular season? Uh, we just uh, knew offensively that they're going to play zone. We knew that they're going to play with some cushion. So we knew we were going to have to catch short routes and get yak. And, you know, that's something every time we touch the ball, you know, it was at least 10 yards. If there were a two-yard catch, turn it to 10. So that's something we knew as an offense we were going to have to do to stay on the field. And, you know, the defense did what they do. You know, they took the ball away whenever they felt like it. You know, they had uh, Chad shook early. And, you know, they've just been playing dominant football all year. I have not seen one team in the last year and a half – due to the Argos offense like you guys did. And I thought your secondary specifically was outstanding with the uh, covering the Toronto receivers and making life miserable for Chad Kelly. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what we did, you know. I mean, it's nothing new to that defense. You know, against Toronto, you know, we've had a little bit of struggles early, but uh, coming into that game, we were very confident. You know, all we had to do was play Alouette football, and we were going to get the job done. So I'm just confident, you know. We're hitting our stride uh, at the right time, you know, that seven straight wins. So we just got to keep it going. This is the one we got to get. How much does it mean getting uh, to a great cop? And uh, thoughts on Jason Moss and Anthony Cavill and the Alouette's coaching staff? Yeah, I mean, getting to a great cup would be huge. Uh, that's the goal we set for ourselves at the start of the season. You know, not a lot of people thought we were going to get there, but uh, we put our head down, we put our noses down, and, and we got to work, and that's exactly where we got. And, you know, Coach Moss, uh, he's just been great. You know, he's been a fun, fun man in the locker room. Uh, He's brought the fun out of the out of the hard work. You know, we've got pickleball, we've got uh, ping pong. You know, he just kept kept it light, kept it fun while also being serious when needed to. And Coach AC, you know, uh, I had a la I had him last year, so uh, not not nothing new to me. But you know, he's just been great, uh, great offensive mindset. Uh, he draws up great plays for us every week. Um, you know, he's gonna do something to get us open. So uh, I just I owe that man everything, and I, I can't wait to get to work on Sunday. What are your thoughts on the? Uh opponent on Sunday at the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, you know, Winnipeg's been to four straight Grey Cups, you know. Uh, they mean all business. They're not going to roll over and let us take it. Um, we got to, They're not going to let roll over and let us just have it. We got to go in there and take it. Um, so all the respect is there, but we know what we're capable of and we know what we can do. So uh, it should be a great, great, uh, fun matchup and can't wait to get out there. What's a fun fact about you, Tyson? And do you have a favorite NFL team? By the way, I'm an Eagles fan. <laughs> Uh, I mean, a kind of fun fact, I have a twin brother who plays uh, football as well. You know, he's a receiver, first-round draft pick, just like myself. So it's kind of a cool, fun fact. Uh, every year we go head-to-head -head against each other in stats. And, you know, I got him the last two years, just so everyone knows. And I'm a Saints fan, uh, personally. So uh, Eagles and Saints are on pretty good uh, par right now. And finally, is there a story behind the number six? Uh, yeah, uh, I switched to the number six when I was about... I'd say 10 to 12 years old. Um, 
I used to be number 22, but uh, I watched some highlights of my dad playing, and I just I loved the number six after that. You know, he was known as the quick six because he would uh, score quick and he was really fast. So that was something I seen myself uh, in a young age and had to make the switch, and, and now here we are. All right. Well, Tyson, I want to say thank you so much for doing this interview and, and uh, continued success and good luck Sunday against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, that was Tyson Philpot, wide receiver of the Montreal Alouettes from this past Wednesday at the Grey Cup Media Day in Hamilton. And I want to say congratulations to Tyson Philpot on the game-winning touchdown pass he received from Cody Forjaro uh, yesterday. And the Alouettes upset the Bombers 28-24 to to win their eighth straight game and their eighth Grey Cup championship in team history. And Tyson was named the most outstanding Canadian player. Cody Fajaro, their quarterback, was named MVP. It was a hell of a great cup in Hamilton. Green Day did a great job on the halftime show. And uh, I want to just say thank you to the CFL, uh, Lucas Barrett, Lucas uh, Barrett, the Vice President of Media Communications, for my uh, Grey Cup opportunity and to interview some players from both teams as well. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, four straight Grey Cups, amazing accomplishment. They won back-to-back Grey Cups in 2019 and 2021, and now they've had two heartbreaking losses the last two years. But Winnipeg will be back stronger next year. They're a great organization run by Kyle Walters and Mike O'Shea, the head coach. And uh, it's going to be a great 2024 CFL season. Uh, coming up uh, in May when training camp starts as well. Monday Night Football, Super Bowl 57 rematch at 8.15, Philadelphia, Kansas City. The first time the Eagles and Chiefs have played on Monday Night Football since 2001 when it was Andy Reid coaching the Eagles and Dick Vermeil, the former Eagles coach, coaching the Kansas City Chiefs. And now it's Nick Serrani against Andy Reid and Serrani was on the Kansas City Chiefs a few years ago under Andy Reid as well. I have the Eagles winning this game 23-20 to in a close game on a late Jake Elliott field goal as well. 8-15 kickoff on Monday Night Football with Joel uh, Buck and Troy Aikman as well. As always, guys, uh, Live with CDP Sports Talk is a weekly sports and entertainment talk show hosted by Chris Pame. It is on weeknights from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key, the home of Southern sport and talk. Our radio station's website is wqeefm.radio12345.com as well. Live with CDP Sports Talk is live streamed on these platforms. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And a shout out to everyone watching this uh, show today with Rod Smith live streamed as well. Also, you can check out my digital content on my website on beacons.ai slash Chris D. Pome. Live with CDP Sports Talk again is brought to you by Barry Collins Chevrolet Dealership here in Guelph at 905 Woodlawn Road West in the Guelph Auto Mall. You can check out barrycollin.com for the newest selection of new pre owned GM vehicles or give them a call at 519 824 0210 or email them at info at And speaking of Barry Collins Chevrolet, 2023 Silverado 1500 pickup truck. 0.99% financing for up to 60 months and eligible Costco members can receive a $750 bonus on select trucks as well. And also 
So you buy a set of four winter tires right now at Barry Collins Chevrolet. Depending on the manufacturer, you can get up to rebates up to $125 as well. More information at barrycollin.com as well. You can also follow me on TikTok at Live with CDP. That's at Live with CDP on TikTok. I post a lot of content there as well. StreamYard is the official live stream provider of Live with CDP Sports Talk. If you're into webinars or podcasting such as myself, check out StreamYard.com as well. Live with CDP Sports Talk, the audio version is on these platforms. iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. Spotify for podcasters, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, LinkedIn, Pandora, and TunedIn, and weeknights at 8 o'clock on WQEE 99.1 FM. Finally, you can email or text live with CDP Sports Talk at cpame19 at gmail.com, or you can text the show at 519 519- 8207188 any comments questions or suggestions feedback would be greatly appreciated as well my next live with cdp sports talk to be announced on my social media pages later this week and i'm looking forward to having more great guests come on my show in the future and again i want to say thank you to rod smith former nfl cornerback with the patriots packers and panthers and 1988 NCA national champion with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish for coming on live with CDP Sports Talk uh, this afternoon, sponsored by Barry Collins Chevrolet and on WQEE 99.1 FM. Again, congratulations to the Montreal Alouettes for winning the 110th Grey Cup and to Tyson Philpot for being the most outstanding Canadian player. And uh, a shout-out to the Canadian Football League for my media opportunities this year with the Toronto Argonauts, the Hamilton Tigercats, and covering the Grey Cup media week last week at the Hamilton Convention Centre. And again, Monday Night Football, Eagles-Chiefs 8-15, Super Bowl 57 match. I got the Eagles winning 23-20. Go Birds, fly Eagles, fly. I hope everybody has a great night. Enjoy the Monday Night Football. And uh, we'll see you later this week with a new episode and some more guests coming up. And uh, also, guys, this Saturday, Ohio State, Michigan from the Big House. And to decide, I think, the Big Ten Championship. Looking forward to that game as well. Again, thank you to Rod Smith for coming on. And thank you to everyone for watching and listening to Live with CDP Sports Talk. Brought to you by Barry Cullen Chevrolet here in Guelph and on WQEE 99.1 FM. Have a good night, everybody.